You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Today on Line Noise, we welcome a house music producer of rare pedigree, Roy Davis Jr., a man who started out in Future, recorded for Thomas Bangalter's Roulet Records, and produced the all-time garage anthem, Gabrielle. We talked about Chicago, spirituality, making acid house, and what it was like uh, DJing with Daft Punk. Yeah, so what's going on, my man? What's going on? Uh, it's good. It's good. Um, kind of half my family confined with COVID, but you know, such is such is the way. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I, I've been I've been locked in, man. I've just been laying low. I go to my my daughter's tennis matches and stuff because it's outside, but haven't been in any club venues at all since COVID hit. Are you missing it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm missing it. I'm missing it most definitely. And I know things are starting to get back rolling. But um, right now, dealing with my MS situation, I'm just going to lay low and and, and kind of, uh, you know, just weigh out the time while I can and check out the scene and see what's going on. I mean, it's, it's been a lot of, uh, you know, deaths, you know, during this time. So I'm, I'm just trying to be wise when I make my moves, you know. You got to look after your health first. Yeah, totally, totally. I was gonna go to I'm, I was gonna go to a club in December. Things opened up for a bit, um, and then I realised that I was gonna be taking a flight, kind of a couple of days afterwards. Gonna go and see my parents. I was like, no, it's not worth it, you know. So I haven't been in ages. And uh, where where are you at now? Where are you, you in England or are you in? Uh... I'm in Barcelona. Oh, okay, you in Barcelona? Okay, okay. Do you know it? Have you been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been for um, uh, what was um, Circa Loco. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I played some of their parties out there. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it's a nice place. Yeah, man. So, lovely, lovely to see speak to you today, and like, congratulations on the new record, which is excellent. Um, oh, thanks, thanks, man, thanks. Can I, I wanted to? Uh, can we go back for a second to write to write to the the beginning? Oh sure, sure, sure. Because like, how did you how did you first discover house music? Ah, oh, well, let's see. Um, there was many different angles at one time. I would say, um, I had um, Farley Jack Master Funk from the Hot Mix Five. He was uh, playing a lot of local parties and also on the number one station at that time was WBMX, which had the Hot Mix 5, which had me uh, really intrigued because back then I was spinning, um, I was young and I was spinning for the break dancers like in the alley with break dance music. So then um, house music started to creep in and started creeping in on the radio and the underground at the same time. And um, so I got into like Farley Jack Master Funk and then I got into... Um, Lil Lewis, because he would throw his own parties and we would all go. And then I was neighbors with DJ Pierre. So he lived like about a two minute walk from my house. And um, yeah, we just, I just started getting into it real heavy. And um, I wasn't one of the guys that could go to the music box. My parents wasn't going to let me go to the music box, but they did let me go to all the Lil Lewis parties that he had, and then we had parties at Sawyer's, and then I joined uh, the Chicago Bad Boys in between that time, and um, 
the rest was history, man. It was like I joined Future. Actually, I wrote for Future first before I even joined the group. I wrote for them first in 86. And the name of the song was called 20 Below. And it was a song that went on Jack Track's record label out of England, actually. Um, a, guy, a guy named Damon owned it, and he came into town, and he was looking for music. So uh, Pierre had a uh, future going in Fantasy Club at the same time with, like, me, Felix the House Cat, and a couple of other guys, and Spanky and Herb. And um, all of us were, like, just production guys who kind of got together and started doing group groups together and doing making music together. So Spanky used to let me, like, borrow his drum machine. Uh, before that, my family was always making music. My mom was a writer, and she did some writing for Curtis Mayfield a, a long, long time ago. And um, um, from that point, I just been in the music my whole my whole life. My my uncle was a keyboard player for Roberta Flack, and uh, man, it's just, it's just hard because it's all at one time. I was I jumped from from. Uh, Playing guitar when I was little and drums and 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 to DJing for the break dancers and then into house music, and um, it's crazy. From house music, I was into even um, Italian disco. So it was just crazy when you into all of this at one time. And you, as a kid, you running from one place to another to hear all these different sounds and stuff. You know, and Chicago was a very very DJ city, very busy DJ city back during that, those days. And I was an athlete, so I, I spent a lot of my time on a football field or on a basketball court. And in between, I made the music. So um, I even went to college and played played football in college, but uh, got dragged out of there uh, during the Strictly days, during the 90s, uh, Strictly wanted me to come and work for them. So I left and, and went that direction. I, w- I wanted to ask actually about 20 Below. Like you wrote that when you were just 16, right? Yeah, something like that, 15 or 16 years old, yeah. What yeah. was it like being in a recording studio at 16? I mean, did, we, did you have that? Well, kind of- actually, the song was actually written in Pierre's basement. So so um, when I came up with it and I gave it to him, he liked it. He said, oh, man, we should use this. But I didn't. I wasn't even thinking he really wanted to use it. I just, you know, I just thought, you know, okay, oh, well, you know, because we DJed all the time in this basement and we hung out all the time. But I never really, when you're young, you don't even be thinking something's going to actually happen. You just do it. And then it happens. And you're like, whoa, okay, it happened. Next thing I know, uh, Pierre was like, hey, we all go in the studio uh, we want to cut that song you wrote uh, with JR, so I want you to come on in. And so we went to my, my first studio session was at Star Trek Studio. And I was, I guess, about 16, somewhere around there. And then um, we went in there, we cut the tune. Da- Damon liked the tune. Of, cor- of course, he picked a bunch of other stuff, too. Um, I can't remember. I know String Free was done in that studio. A whole bunch of songs was done in that studio. Um, at that particular moment. And then uh, from that point, um, the rest was history, man. I just, <laughs> I just kept on making stuff, you know, and just kept making music and I never really stopped. What, and what, I was in school making music and beats in, in college. And I don't know, Strictly was having me come out uh, to, to Strictly Rhythm like every, every week from school. So I had to make a decision. Am I going to stay in school here and play football? Am I going to go to New York and leave Chicago 
and, uh, you know, make it a career. I'm interested, like you, you came from a very musical family. You said your, your mum worked with, uh, wrote for Curtis Mayfield, which is incredible. What did, yeah, yeah. what did your family, like the older members of your family, make of house music? Did they like it? Did they get it? Uh, my mom, she always supported it. it. It's like the songs I always thought she would like the most. It was never those. It was the. It was weird. It was always the opposite ones. But um, her favorite song I did. It wasn't like Michael or Gabriel. It was um, Rock Shot. You know what? that. Yeah, so that was kind of weird for me thinking she would like that one because it was like the less musical one, I would think. Because she played keyboards too. She played keyboards. My dad played horn. Um, but but they, you know, they had their own careers. You know, music wasn't really their 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 forte all the time, you know. But they supported me. Um when um I decided to make that decision, that full move, uh to do so. Um because I had music was just floating the whole time, man. I'm telling you. So it, it, it was just kind of strange because, like, even though I was in Future, I was still in the Chicago Bad Boys. And I was still, I had a group called Yamoja, which was me, Jay Janelle, and Sheena Mahone, which was on Big Beat and also on Marshall Jefferson's early label, Other Side. And then got, you know, eventually signed to Polydor in England. So it was like I was doing all this stuff. And I, I don't even know where I got that energy. I don't have it no more. <laughs> but I was yeah, running from place to place, bro. Like I was in, I was in, in Jay's basement for like a week at a time. And our parents would be like, where are they? What are they doing? You know, what's going on down there? You know, then came, next thing you know, we came out and your Mojo album was completed. You know, and then at the same time, I was doing future stuff. Then I was doing the Roy Davis Jr. stuff. It was just, it, it was just crazy, man. Okay. <laughs> uh, I look back and I was like, wow, man, I was really, really motivated, man. <laughs> I was motivated back then. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But when I was in school and I decided to uh, leave, I had to first I approached my mom and I and because I didn't think my dad was going to be down with because um, my father also um, he was more dedicated as a, a draftsman. He had his own drafting firm called uh, Davis Detail. Yeah, so um, he was actually prepping me for that, and he was prepping my sister. And neither one of us, we took it in school, of course, but neither one of us ended up going that route. So when it came for me to, you know, make that decision, okay, oh man, I'm going to tell my pops, <laughs> you know, how's he gonna handle this? You know, um, of course he saw me doing music the whole time and supported it, but I don't think he thought I was gonna, you know, do anything with it like that and so I asked my mom first and she's like well just ask your dad see what he says we'll take it from there you know so when I did he said um how much they 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 paying you <laughs> you know he was like uh, I said well it's gonna be a decent fee you know and um I have a salary and I, I'll go out there work and I'll be beside Pierre is like uh he'll be like my boss I'll be like his underboss <laughs> you know doing some things you know to to make sure the label is uh, having proper releases like editing and mixing and picking tunes and stuff like that, and then he he said he said let's let's talk about it uh, tomorrow. So when he said that, I was kind of first I was like ah oh, he ain't down with this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, so I I actually I didn't I went to college not too far from my house. It was probably about an hour and and maybe thirty minutes away. 
So I drove back from the campus and came back and saw my dad and talked to him. And he was just like, man, he's like, it looks like a good opportunity. I know they've been, you know, paying you to go back and forth and everything and looking out for you now. Said you, this might be a good chance for you to, to do some things, you know, live your dream. And uh, my parents didn't let me live my dream. Uh, so I'm going to um, let you do, you know, what you want to do. Go ahead and, and see what happens. And um, the, the rest was history. I didn't think he was going to support it, but he did, you know. Was this, is this like when you were at Strictly Rhythm, you are doing A&R, right? Yeah, yeah. Was that a job you enjoyed? Pardon? Was that a job that you enjoyed? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked it, but um, I was still like an underlink. Like you had uh, our vice president, which was uh, George. And then at the time, Gladys had already left and went to Nervous and was working at Nervous. And then we had Pierre and I was under Pierre. So we worked together as a team on a lot of things. So I loved it. We was up a lot of hours and making music and editing music and making sure stuff came out on time. So I loved it actually. Yeah, and um, then I, I liked it so much. I was like, okay, I wanna do my own thing. And, I, I, and uh, Mark Finkelstein gave me the opportunity to do my own label, uh, which was Red Cat Records which I took, I started it out and I took it to Chicago. Uh, that's when I left New York and went back to Chicago in my own local town. And then um, start picking up local guys like DJ Skull, um, Johnny Fiasco, um, who else was in there? Some other guys like Ben Mays and some other people here and there and did a, a Umoja record or two. But um, it was, oh, another guy named Jordan Fields. So I only had like a few releases on there, but it was going so strong it, it seemed like it was taken away from me, you know, from yeah. me being a producer. Cause I felt I was in the office with my lawyer and with another guy named Damon Nellums. The label wasn't just me, it was me and Damon Nellums, who was actually another member of Future. He went under the alias called Professor Tracks. So um, it was like, man, we, we found ourselves up in there, man, all the time. It didn't have time for music. We get off work, and next thing you know, you're going home, and you don't even feel like going to the studio. So, we both decided to go ahead and just start, you know, doing more of our own stuff at that point. And then um, we stopped doing the whole thing with Strictly, and then we just broke off and started producing everywhere, you know. And that's when we started working with Power Music and Nervous and everybody else. I wanted to ask about Chicago, actually, because like I'm a big fan of house music and a big fan of Chicago house music, but I've, I've sadly never been. But like, what is there something in like one thing, one element that makes a tune feel Chicago to you? Is there one thing that kind of makes it different from like a New York house track or I don't know, like a Detroit mm. techno track or something? Well, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's just when it first started to us, it was just called tracks, you know, and um, I did skip over the era that I did work at tracks records, too. Yeah. But um, I did those days, the early days of tracks records. But to us, it was just considered tracks. And then, you know, we we developed as producers and became more musical. You know, you had Marshall Jefferson, who was more musical at the time, but a lot of us was just drum machines, 303s, and a couple of Junos, you know, <laughs> like making simple bass lines and samples here and there. And as time grew, we started to uh, educate ourselves more on the musicianship 
And I, I know the music has changed since then. And that's actually like what I did with that winds of change. I said, let me just go back to when I was a kid, when, you know, what really got me into it. And it was the simplicity. Because sometimes we kind of get, you know, beside ourselves and be like trying to top each record we done done and out compose ourselves and our friends and like, oh, listen to this, I did 14 chords in this whole little eight bar section, <laughs> you know, but you, you're trying to do too much. And house music was meant to be simple and meant to be, you know, have a, a, a groove to it. You know, it had a funk and a groove to it. So I, I decided to go back to the original elements for a minute, you know, because I always play them, but I wasn't always creating it all the time because it, it was like to me my early days, you know. So I started getting musical, you know, as time went by, more musical. But I, to answer your question, there is a difference, I think, um, I think because when Detroit started, you had Juan Atkins and that was more like electro type of, it wasn't even considered techno at that time. It was more kind of like electro sounding to me, you know, um, but when he made no UFOs because him and Derek May used to come to Chicago and hear people like Ron Hardy and Frankie Knuckles and stuff, then that sound started to change and started to become more groovier for what we like to do, you know, because we made a lot of tracks that never came out. We would make tracks and they we played them on cassettes back then or reel to reel. And that would be the hottest track. And if you got it and one of your guys passed it around and it became the hottest track of that of that weekend or that month, you know, that's what the hottest track was. You know, so it wasn't about it had to come out on vinyl back then. It was about who had the best unreleased stuff, <laughs> you know. And um as time went by, every everybody started to, you know, get their own vibe. I think New York was more catered towards an early disco sound, too. Ours was more catered towards an early Italian disco sound, like 808s and 303s and bass lines and stuff like that. Well, that's what it was for me. And then as we graduated, we started doing more, you know, disco-orientated type, you know, styles and stuff, like Glenn Underground doing now and stuff like that. But um, or what I'm doing in certain songs and certain times I've done, but um, yeah, it was, it, it, it was a different sound. I, I remember when we first got to Strictly, they didn't they didn't really understand what Future was doing. They didn't understand that Acid Tracks had blew up in the UK. They didn't understand that you know when I first came to them with Rise from Your Grave, they're like, "What is this shit?" <laughs> you know, they're like, "What is it?" It was weird music to them. Because, you know, they came off of the Deviate sound, the Logic sound, and all of this stuff from early Roger Sanchez and all that. It was more swinging, more type of a swing type of beat thing going on back then. And um, they didn't understand that real raw underground. To us, was real raw underground stuff. So once they dropped it, like, Rise Grave went out, they didn't, they, they didn't originally believe in it. I'll be honest with you, they didn't. But then once it went out and then it took off and people started flipping out over them bass lines that I was coming up with, you know, and and uh, Pierre on, on some of the beats and helping us tight the production. Uh, then next thing you know, it was like, you know, oh, man, this is some heavy stuff. You know, Future has its own, you know, crowd for what it's doing, you know, so um we started doing other stuff with them. We started, we did Inside Out and Mental Breakdown, a couple of other projects. And from there was history. I came out with the Believers on there and, you know. 
was it like like joining Future? I mean, I can imagine like because Future by this this stage was like really big that had really really big records. Was it kind of intimidating? Or was it or was it no. just you know you knew them you knew the the producers? And... Well, we were like family before I joined. We were already friends. You know what I mean? So yeah. I was like the I was like the little kid. <laughs> you know, I was like. Um, the little kid. So um, all of my other friends that were they were like my age um, at that particular time, they were more shocked than I was. You know, I was just like, I'm around these guys almost every day anyway. So, you know, I wasn't trying to join the group. It just happened because um, you had it was a lot going on. You had Spanky. He was actually an A&R Tracks when I first started doing some stuff with them. And then you had Pierre, who was in transitional change of leaving Future, and he was going to go to Jai. And then you had Herb, who was one of the original members. If it wasn't for Herb, none of us would have had that Ron Hardy type of box feel because he was the first one to go to the music box out of the whole crew. You know, and he came back and he 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 brought Spanky in, then Spanky brought Pierre in, then Pierre would come back with these tapes and um, you know, playing for me because my parents wouldn't let me go out and hang out the three or four in the morning because I was a young one, you know. But um I didn't feel intimidated at all. I don't know, it just was really natural, actually. How how did it work? Did you each have like a very clearly defined role? What was it like you on on bass lines or whatever and someone else on drum machines, or was it more fluid? Well, well, my first my first steps was in Pierre's basement playing keys, and I was doing like some keyboards with the Juno, and he would do the eight oh eight. And I wish I had that track today. We don't though, but it was, it was a really nice track. Though. <laughs> I keep thinking about it all the time. But sometimes you never can get back to that same raw feeling. We didn't even have a sequencer at that time, and and uh, we just played it, you know, everything kind of live and ran it off into a four track. But um. Spanky had a lot of that stuff that we did back then. He, God rest his soul, but he was the one who was good at keeping stuff that happened in the past. He was good with like, just you make a tape like 20 years ago, you go to Spanky and he got it, <laughs> you know, like Marshall Jefferson's original Time Marches On, he had it, you know, before, before it went to vinyl, you know, so he was one of those type of guys. But, um, and as a DJ, as I got, I'm more mature than I would, you know, hey, Spank, let me get that pieces of a track. Let me get this, you know. So as time went by, I would get, you know, some of those those type of joints and, you know, play them at parties. But, um, yeah, to answer your question, man, it just, everything was just natural. I don't even, it's, it just happened. That's all I can say. It just happened. And the church was important to your music as well, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's time. My, my mom, well... Before my mom, actually, we had a church um, that my family was behind, was a, a Seventh-day Adventist church that was in a place called Chicago Heights. And it was basically ran by my family. And um, as time went by, I grew up, I grew up in that church. And uh, my mom played keyboards, my aunt played piano, or they'll switch off. And then sometimes my uncle come in and play percussions. So it was just, it was just kind of a... Um, uh, a stumping ground for me, you know, as uh, coming up as a kid and uh, getting that 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 real soul, I would say. 
It's interesting. Like, do you think songs like Gabrielle or Michael are spiritual songs? And also, are they about anyone? They're most definitely are spiritual songs. When, like, uh, when we got together, me and Pevin, that song was uh, something we wanted to do that was positive. But we, before we got together, that was one of many songs. And we was like, let's make songs that's going to be positive, you know, uplift, you know, people, you know, I've, I've done the future thing and I want to do more musical stuff, get back to my emotion stuff. Cause I like to bounce around a lot. And um, especially when I DJ. So we came up with so many different songs, some that haven't even came out, but um, all of them had something to do with the angel and, um, and the relationship, your personal relationship with God and angels. surprised by the reaction to Gabrielle I mean it was such such a big a big song um and was like really embraced embraced by UK garage scene were, were you surprised by that uh I would say I had no idea it was gonna do what it did <laughs> I had no idea it was, I mean I, I knew it was a good song I mean I knew it was you know it was put together you know well you know, but I had no clue what it was going to do something like that. Then the next thing I know, I'm getting uh, phone calls from the record label saying, hey, they need you out in England. They want you to go to this pirate radio station. And and to me, I'm like, wow, pirate radio station. That sounds so crazy. I don't know, man. Is that going to be safe? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, next thing you know, you're at this pirate station. Then they tell you, oh, you got to get out, man. You got to get out. Like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, they're coming. They're coming. Like, who's coming? You know? So, you know, and then they have moved it to another building and then you continue where you left off like that. Nothing ever happened. And it's just weird and strange, but it had a following. You know, um, back during that time for those kind of radio stations, those pirate stations. But um, I had no idea it was doing what it was doing. I think the first time I actually saw the reactions, I think I must have saw maybe DJ Spoonie. Mm. I think he was the first one played it, and then he was rewinding it and playing it back and forth. I heard it like four times in one night, and people were screaming and running up, you know, going crazy. And I was like, wow, this is insane, <laughs> you know? But I wasn't getting that same reaction in America about it, because to me, I mean, it was kind of a house soul record. It wasn't like, you know, the pumped up energy type track stuff that people normally flip out over in our country. You know, so it took a long time to gradually, you know, make its way into America, especially, uh, I mean, you had your your fans or Roy Davis Jr. fans or Pevin Ever fans who grasped to it, but it wasn't like a lot of the other house tracks. It was, it kind of was, you know, different. I want to ask about um, Rock Shock, your, your mum's favourite tune as well, um, that you did for Thomas Bangalter's Roulet label in 1998. How did that come about? Well, um, that came about was I made the track and I went to Paris and I had it on acetate. And um, what club was it? Club Queen 
Club Queen, and it was me, Paul Johnson, uh, and Daft Punk performing. I don't know who else was there, maybe uh, Alex Brax or somebody. And we were performing at one of the Paris's burning parties. And um, I played it, and Thomas came up to me, tapped me on my shoulder, what is that? <laughs> and I was like, uh, it's my next release on Underground Therapy. He's like, oh, oh it's nice. I, I like to license it. What, can you come over to my house tomorrow? And, you know, we sit down and, and maybe I can license it from you. And I said, sure, let's, you know, what's a good time? And he said, let's meet about two. So we met up and I went to his house. We played around his studio a little bit. He had a little roads and we were messing around on roads. He had a little box in there playing a lot of tracks through the box and, um, which is a radio for some of you kids that don't know that. <laughs> but, um, you know, and he didn't have like the normal setup like most of us back then would have a setup and have all of this different, you know, tube amps and all this other stuff. He just had a box <laughs> and all of the equipment was running through that box, you know, and um, he played the acid tape in the room on his turntable when it came through the box and they said, let's go out for uh, some coffee or tea or whatever. Let's go out for lunch. So we went out and then he sat down and he, 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 he made an offer to me. Uh, could he license the record? And I said, well, we're going to be bringing it out real soon. He said, well, you do what you do on that side. And then maybe I'll remix it and maybe we can make it bigger in, in, in Europe. And then, you know, we can go from there. I said, okay. So he, he, he spit out some numbers that I liked and, and we, we uh, shook hands on it and um, we made the deal happen. I got back, flew back, sent them the, the parts and, um, he started working on a remix and the next was history. Then I, I think we came up with a classic. What did you make of his remix? Because it's a pretty, it's a very inventive piece of house music. I thought it was a very um, clever. I thought it was clever how he chopped it up and made it start and stop. And he was doing things that we haven't done. We would do when we DJ, but we never did it like on vinyl, like he made it and slow down and stuff like that. Now, everybody can do that now because programs can, you know, do that. But at that time, nobody was doing that, you know. So um, I think he did a great job. He chopped it up and made it happen. So you take things up to the present day, your new single, Wind of Change, as we, we talked about it briefly, it's brilliant work. You were trying to get back to that classic Chicago feel, right? Is it important to you to, to get back to that? It's important to me to always uh, be open. So however I'm feeling that day, or I just like to create. I don't like to be pigeonholed into one thing all the time. You know, I get bored. I've been doing this since I was 16, 14, when it comes to just DJing and stuff, you know, but um, I get bored. So I'm like, man, let me bounce around. So I always bounce around. If you go through all my records through the past, I've always bounced around. Um, some people thought it was sporadic. Some people thought it was good and inventive. Some people want me to stick to one sound instead of all of these other sounds. But I feel like as an artist, you're like a painter and you, you're you just sprinkling different moments of your life through the galaxy as time goes, you know? So um, I just felt like it was a need to have some dirtiness because sometimes people think, oh, well, he didn't get so far, you know, advanced with the musicianship. He don't remember where this shit came from. 
<laughs> you know, he, he don't remember the, the vibe and, you know, so it, it's it, for for me, it was it was important for me to reflect that, especially with um, the label. I chose to do it on Friendsome because Ruben, one of the guys who helped run the label, he would follow me like all over the world. Like I'll be in Morocco and pop, here comes freaking Ruben. I'm like, Ruben, damn, what you doing here? You know? So it's like, well, I end up in Bali. Here's Ruben. And like everywhere I go, Ruben was popping up. I'm like, okay, well, Ruben's, you know, he's really, he's vibing and, and he's hanging out with me all the time. And, and then he was like, well, we starting this label and we'd love to have a release from you. And, and this was like maybe two years after I met him. Like it wasn't something quick. So he always was coming around dancing at all the parties. He came out to my personal birthday party I had on the yacht. I mean, I was like, this guy then, you know, spending his own money, didn't never once asked to come and get in a party free, not once. Yeah. So I was like, I respected that. I, I felt like this, this guy is a true fan, you know, and, and um, when he approached me about doing something, I was like, uh, man, no problem. I got you. Because, you know, it's, it's hard to find people who really are into the sound and really that motivated to travel all around the world where you're traveling and plus have the money to do so, <laughs> you know. So um, I, I appreciated and value him as a, uh, you know, a fan and uh, a friend. And um, I decided to say, well, let me not give him what they would expect, you know, from me right now. Let me just give him something that's just raw, that maybe it could be a collectible item for him at some point. One interesting thing about, about the, the EP, I think, is that it seems like very much club tracks to me. Um, you haven't been in a club for years. I haven't been in a club for years. Um, is it, is it, was it strange for you in any way making music, like club music, knowing you couldn't go into a club? Or did it just come very natural? Ah, oh, it comes very natural. Very, na very natural. Right. Like those kind of tracks are like, um, it's, it's like, it's, it's like you born with it, man. It's like you, you feel those type of rhythms coming from Chicago. It was those type of early rhythms. You know, a lot of us that was around my, you know, my age group or whatever we grew up on, you know, so it, a lot of a lot of us had that kind of rhythm and had that kind of vibe and feeling to a lot of our early tracks, you know. Whether people put them out was a different story, but people, you know, could could make them. So it's, for me, it wasn't like a big task. The task for me was finding the time to put it to put them together because um, this these tracks were made before COVID, you know. Yeah. So I was torn around like a maniac, <laughs> like just going from place to place and, you know, and just, you know, wearing my body out. <laughs> so it's like, and when COVID came, I finally had a chance to actually slow down and actually, you know, mix some stuff down and finally get some, you know, some songs out. But um, the, way I, the way I wanted to do it, you know. You're still in Chicago, right? No, I live in Florida now. 
Ah, right. Okay. Okay. Now, I moved. I moved from Chicago six years ago when I first had my MS diagnosis, and the doctor said you need to be somewhere in warmer weather if you want this thing to, uh, you know, be you know work for you. Right. Because the cold is going to keep you stiff. So when it first hit me, I wasn't walking, and um, I was when I had the energy, I started touring immediately even in a, in a wheelchair, I would take a wheelchair to every city. A lot of people didn't see that part, you know, but, um, some, some saw me behind the decks in a wheelchair. Some didn't, you know, but, um, I, I just, man, I had to be somewhere warm and a lot, most of my family was already here. Yeah. So it was, a, it was the easiest place for me to come to. I thought that would, you know, help me out. And it did, it did it help me out. I'm glad. And what are you working on right now? I mean, after this EP, what, what can we expect from you next? Right now, I'm, I'm in the studio doing a remix for this girl named Story. She's like a Canadian artist. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. And then I'm also putting together a new production team. Right now, I got uh, two other guys, two, both of them are from Chicago. And, um, and I want you guys to look forward to that. And we're going to be doing a, a little bit of everything with this particular production team. I don't want to leak the name or nothing yet until our right. first release. But um, that's what, basically what I'm heading. I'm also working with some tech companies, tech company called Amplify. Oh, yeah, I know that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was brought in as an ambassador alongside Felix the Housecat. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of other guys. But um, so I'm working working on that right now. And uh, I'm thinking about, I have enough tunes since COVID that I can put together an album if I want it. But um, I'm just going to probably just drop release after release until I feel like I, I have something that could be an album, you know? Yeah. Because I don't, some, I use, back in the day, I used to say, okay, this is my album time. I'm going to make an album, you know? But now I, I, I like better just to create vibes and then start, and pick and choose. What, what what might work and what might not work. I, I want to ask one last question, if I may. You've been very generous with, with your time. Um, it, it's quite, quite a difficult question, maybe. Like, what one song would you recommend that people listen to to understand to understand what it is that you do and what it is that you, you've done? Um, I could say one song that you can probably get to know me as a person. Yeah. And that would be Michael. And why that? Why Michael? Michael, because it's it's more um in touch with with my personal spirit now, I feel. Um and it's not necessarily geared for like dancing, but more for uh wisdom. Um, and if I wanted to leave a mark on this earth, those lyrics would be something I would like to leave for everyone. And it is a beautiful song. Thank you. Thank you. Well, look, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, I'm glad your health is, is getting better. Um, you know, um, I'm glad Florida is, is working for you um if you do uh well i hope, hope sometime you'll make it back to djing and and 
you make over to Barcelona again, but you know, the health is the most important thing. Yeah, right. Right now that's all I'm focusing on. And and I also just got married. I just got married. Ah, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. In November, I got married. Nice Swedish woman. <laughs> and um, yeah, so my my life is more focused on the the building of of that that love and romance and family right now. Have so, you learned any um, Swedish? Not not quite. Not yet. Not yet. I, I know I should should know a lot, but it's it's really a tough language, actually. You know, okay. but um I, I know as time goes, I'll I'll learn some some good things. Exactly. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Thank you so much for taking the time. And um, yeah, um, congratulations again on the new record. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. And pick it up for your, some of y'all who haven't checked it out. Just some of that raw RDJ stuff, you know, that you can get those vibes and feels of that real original Chicago click. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs>